Welcome to the Attractions Group Podcast, episode 15. I'm Ryan Sir, and with me as always is the man who puts but verify into trust but verify, Don Helbig. How you doing, Don? I'm doing great. Uh, how about I'm you? doing well. You know, it's been a little while since we recorded. We had some tech issues and stuff last week, so we do apologize. But um, hey, many of you guys that follow us on Twitter got a message from me um, about... You know, if you if you follow our YouTube channel, then we'll follow yours, that sort of thing. And that was awesome because I got a lot of messages back and uh, really good support. And people were sharing their work with us on YouTube, which was awesome. And there's even a guy that said, like, hey, you got to see this. And he sent me a link to a um, theme park uh, uh, crossword puzzle. Uh, it's available on Amazon. I don't know. It's probably just called Theme Park Crossword Puzzle, so just look for that. But that looked like like a pretty cool holiday gift for the enthusiast in your life. Don, how are you feeling today? Uh, doing all right. Uh, you know, battling a little bit of a cold, I think, you know, over this past weekend. But, uh, you know, it's going to happen this time of the year where it's, you know, 75, 80 degrees one day and 62 the next. You know, it's, it's what you deal with in southwest Ohio. Yeah, unfortunately, it is. Um, well, anyway, let's uh, let's get to it. Uh, so today we're going to have kind of an offshoot of a lot of the subject matter that we've had recently. Um, in the past, we've talked about social media and we've talked about uh, influencer marketing and we've talked about, uh, you know, brand identities and so on. But today we're going to narrow it down a little bit more and we're going to talk about going live. So we're talking about particularly going live on the social media channels. Um uh, you know, and with that, we put up a poll asking where you prefer to either go live or, um, you know, where you consume your your live activities and stuff. Um, and most people chose YouTube. Did that surprise you, Don? It did not surprise me because that's like TV. So, you know, that's going to be the number one channel uh, where people are going to want to go to watch video and also, you know, live video. But, uh, you know, it's not a for every situation that you'd want to go live in the attraction industry. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with that. There's, um, you know, big opportunities. Obviously, a lot of parks are going live for ride announcements and stuff, which is pretty exciting. Um, what, so besides that, besides the obvious, what are some opportunities that parks have for uh, live video streaming from a marketing standpoint? Well, you know, as you mentioned, you know, like, just as you mentioned, number one would definitely be, you know, in-park announcements uh, for new attractions. Uh that's gold, you know, and that's where you would definitely want to be using YouTube for that. Uh, it's going to be a longer form type video. Uh, those announcements are normally anywhere from 20 to 45 minutes, depending on how much is involved with it. Uh, but other opportunities are if you have, you know, live shows, uh, you have, you want to take people, uh, cooking demonstrations, you know, I think would be really good, especially the way, um, you know, the culinary experience has been dialed up at parks across North America here. So I think something like that uh, would be a great place to go live. Uh, behind the scenes tours are great to do. Uh, you have different seasons uh, where that works, where you have your off season with the maintenance work that goes on in the shops. Uh, you can do lives in the spring as, you know, construction uh, with new capital, uh, first test rides, those kind of things. Uh, in the summer, if you have special events, you know, another great opportunity to go live in the fall. When you have your Halloween events, go live through uh, some of the haunted attractions, the scare zones, uh, go live in the makeup room where everybody's getting transformed into monsters. You know, that's always fascinating for people to watch uh, that process. So just so many opportunities uh, to do it, but you really don't see a lot of it out there. Why don't you, th do you think you see a lot of it out there? Do you think that it's just young so people haven't seen the value in it yet? 
you know, I think is um, it's kind of like an overwhelming. If somebody looks at like a Disney Parks live feed, you know, they obviously have a lot of people, you know, involved in that process. It's a big production, uh, but they think that it has to be a pr big production and it doesn't. You know, you really can do it. It just you know, one person, all you need is like an iPhone uh, to be able to do it. You just got to be able to check your connection and make sure that, uh, you know, it's a strong one. Uh, but you don't need to, to do it that way, you know, to where you're going to be intimidated by it. And I just think it just flies under the radar. You know, it's, it's great for engagement. Uh, it's something that after the fact, you know, you save it on your channel, like Instagram, if you go live, you save it. A regular post, uh, you know, those views are going to skyrocket. Uh, so tremendous opportunity out there but i think you'll know, have fun with it take a chance and uh you know do it and uh, i think everybody that uh, would try that in the attractions industry would find that they're increasing engagement and uh you know they're they're able to take their audience their their you know uh, to places where they, they can't normally go um so what would your be your preferred methods for for going live like do you, do you prefer youtube over instagram or is it situational or how do you make that decision it's going to be situational, Ryan. If uh, it's an announcement, it's going to be YouTube. If it's something that's like an eight to 10 minute uh, type of live, Instagram would be where I would go there. But you're going to be up to 30 minutes. Uh, Facebook would be uh, the option there for me. And then there are times, you know, that Twitter can be a fit, but that would be more of the quick hit, uh, you know, those two to three minute type views that just kind of show someone like you're looking live at this part of the park or something. But uh, yeah, Facebook, if you're doing something that's a little longer form, you know, 20 to 30 minutes, Instagram, if you're trying to do those, you know, eight to 10 minute type things. And then there's TikTok. That's another one. That's a good fit for that eight to 10 minute kind of range. Yeah. TikTok um, was just short video clips, but now they're trying to compete with the other big dogs and uh... your TikTok, your Facebook, Instagram, uh, YouTube, and then to a lesser extent, Twitter, those are your options to, to really go live. And then there's also that debate, you know, do you go vertical or horizontal? Uh, there's a lot of, uh, that's been something the last four or five years that have been discussed a lot. But, you know, back when there was maybe 50, 60% uh, were viewing your content on a mobile device, you probably wanted to go horizontal. But today, you know, almost 90%, you know, 87, 88% of, uh, of people today, they're viewing everything on their phone and the way they hold their phone. So, you, you want to go vertical. That's my opinion now. Every channel except for Yeah, YouTube. it seems like YouTube is more of a, um, if you want to be quasi-broadcasting. You mentioned earlier that it's like television, and I think that that's another it is. example of um, where you can do a little bit more production quality and stuff like that if you wanted to. Um, but I would also argue that, uh, at least with Instagram, it's kind of set up to go vertical anyway. If you did horizontal, it may not look right when it hit the end user. Yeah. As somebody who's tried it horizontal, it doesn't work very well on, on Instagram. I did that about six, seven years ago, and it was just terrible um, with that. But, you know, also what you have to look at is uh, if you're going to be stationary, you know, you know, that's where YouTube is, is really designed for. You can't really be roaming around too much um, with YouTube. You want to be kind of stable with that. Or Instagram, Facebook, you know, you, you can move around TikTok uh, so you can be more mobile with that. So you mentioned that, um, you know, you don't necessarily have to make a large production that you can just use an iPhone. And I, I think that that's that might have been eye opening for some people who, you know, strayed away from it because they can't create the Channel 5 news or whatever. But no, and you're also afraid of mistakes sometimes, too. You know, that's the thing when it's live, it's live, you know, so if you, you say the wrong 
thing or something gets in the view, you know, that people are hesitant uh, with that because they can't control what's around them where you can, if you're just kind of, you know, making uh, you know, just regular video feature that you're going to put out there in your channel. So uh, that's something that also, you know, makes people a little bit hesitant is just because it is live, but uh, you know, the rewards, I mean, they're great. So would you, uh, how, how would you just control the controllables and take the risk you think when it comes to live? Like if you're doing a, a ride announcement, so that's definitely something that would be on the table for going live because you'd be reaching thousands more people. Um, there's just nothing you can do about somebody that's flipping the bird right in the middle of the crowd or anything, right? No, and it's like TV going live, you know, same kind of situation, you know, where you just have to kind of look around your surroundings and hope uh, that people, you know, uh, don't do something like that. But you also want to be, you know, kind of away a little bit. You want to put yourself in a spot uh, to maybe you're up a little elevated a little bit, you know, away from the, the midway level. Uh, so people, you know, aren't necessarily, you know, getting in your way or cutting in front of your feed or even coming up to talk to you. If they know who you are, they're going to come up and just start a conversation with you while you're recording. So uh, you want to be cognizant of that too and have a plan in place, have an objective. What are you trying to accomplish? That's another thing with it is, uh, you know, don't go live just to go live, but what are you trying to accomplish? What kind of story are you trying to tell? Uh, so you have to have all that in mind as yeah, well. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I saw, um, I, I remember when Dollywood was making their announcement this year, uh, I was looking for their live feed, but as it turned out at the time, they hadn't gone live yet. Um, Cause there's always going to be a run up and we'll talk about that. But I found a ton of feeds on YouTube of essentially the back of the person in front of their head. So that, I mean, obviously that, I mean, that's not the feed I wanted to watch. I'll, ultimately, you know, Dollywood had a good presentation and they had some sort of professional camera set up or, or whatever, you know, but it was unobstructed. Um, so we mentioned, you know, the different streaming platforms and you said that it's situational. Um, besides time, what other factors play into your decision to use one platform over another? I think you also want to look at the audience, uh, what you're going to be going live uh, to do, what's going to be the feature there, the focus. Uh, each channel has a different uh, kind of demographic that's that's on there. Uh, different people follow you for different reasons. So you want to keep that in mind too. So if you're doing something that's um, going to be more toward the, the thrill seekers and that, uh, you can get away with it on, you know, more on Facebook. If it's going to be something that's going to be more geared toward, uh, you know, the moms, parents, you know, Instagram is probably a little bit better for that. So you mentioned that, um, you know, you can go live with just a phone, but... Talk about other equipment that you've used to go live besides just uh, just an iPhone. You know, we've used regular, uh, you know, DSL cameras uh, to go live and and had multiple camera angles uh, when we've done different uh, things. Uh, I've uh, had an event where we were filming a parade and uh, we had multiple camera angles that we were able to, to pull off. That requires two or three people uh, to be able to do that. Or if you're going to put graphics up, if you're going to put, uh, you know, make sure that you, you know, when somebody introduces themselves, their name and title, and that comes up there, you know, you're more than one person for just that. If you're uh, by yourself, you know, it's just going to be kind of a native, native-looking video. What kind of software do you use to to bring this all together? Well. We did, uh, you know, things that I've done before is just going through um, a laptop, you know, having the feed from your camera going into your laptop connected to YouTube and then being streamed out that way. Okay. So you can do multiple camera angles and stuff with that. I suppose, I mean, 
you can with that, yes. And then obviously, I believe you guys have used the OBS software too, the open broadcasting system. Correct. That, that's what we use for this podcast, full disclosure. But um, that's completely free. It's, it's a, you know, It takes a little bit to learn it, but we figured it out. So there's that. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it can't be that hard. If you and I have figured things out, Ryan, it yeah, can't be that definite, hard. But, uh, trust me, if he and I know, can really, do it, you I, can. I just think... Whoever you are out there. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah, but it's really, I mean, you know, you have one of these nowadays. I mean, it's just one of those, um, you know, just the opportunities are endless. And, you know, you go to any kind of a, a social media conference and one of the, you know, the different tracks in that is always going to be, you know, going mm -hmm. live. And they're going to talk about going live on the different channels. And um, it's one of the most attended ones in any social media conference that you go to as well, too. So a lot of people, you know, are encouraging it. Uh, but it's just one of those things that you just got to, you know, take that leap, go out and do it. And uh, but have an objective, though, like I said, you just can't, you know, just don't walk out in, a, in your your park and just start, you know, recording live. Just know what you're trying to accomplish. Uh, know exactly what's going to be coming into your view in terms of whatever, if it's a show or if it's a cooking demonstration, know where, you know, know where your chef's going to be going left or right or whatever you know, they tend to do. Uh, so it looks, you know, looks polished, looks professional. Um, but, you know, with the phones today, I mean, it comes off looking really, really um, good with the quality. You know, a lot of them are 4K in that now. So uh, no problem there with the quality of your video. But you also want to check your, make sure you have a connection though, because that is, uh, you know, when you go on, if it says weak or, you know, okay, you know, don't go live yet. Wait till you find a spot where you have a strong connection. Yeah. And uh, sometimes park Wi-Fi can be your friend. Although it seems like at every park that I've ever been to park Wi-Fi covers 85% of the park. So I guess be conscious of that as well. But, you know, I mean, I guess 85% is a pretty good percentage anyway. So um I would personally maybe walk around that section of the park and do a speed test before, you know, you go anywhere just so you know what you're getting yourself into. Uh, so with that being said. Yeah. And that's one of the things about roaming. Yeah. When you're roaming though, that's another thing to, to be concerned about is uh, when you're stationary and you know what your feet is, it's pretty much going to stay that way. If you start roaming and you're going to different areas of a park, you know, that can be hit or miss. And uh, you need to be careful with that, too. Yeah. Also, I want to point out that, you know, we're, we'll probably go into a little bit more with things that are spectacle. So ride announcements, parades, stuff like that, that, um, you know, are all good candidates for going live. But uh, just the way with the, the laws of physics, you know, if you are set up and you run a speed test and you go on cellular for um, for a ride announcement and then all of a sudden there's. 3,000 more people there all also going live, that's going to affect things too. So just be conscious of that. You know, and the same is true with Wi-Fi. The more people that are on it in one spot, the more it bogs it down. So you got to be there for it, you know. <laughs> um, how often would you recommend going live? Is is there too much? Is there too little? Well, I mean, the opportunities are going to tell you how often you can go live, what you have going on. But I would say, you know, maybe once or twice a month is a, is a good frequency, you know, so that would be like 12 times a year on each channel. You know, it would be a nice, would be a nice, a nice uh, range to do it with. But, uh, you know, if you can just go, you know, a couple times a month to start out and just pick the channel you're comfortable with and kind of build from there and just kind of test the waters with it and, and you know, see what the, the engagement and everything is for you and, uh, just get comfortable doing it and then you'll want to do more and more, but you have to have something that's going to interest your audience too. You just can't do it to do it. 
you know, that's what we keep talking about, having an objective, something that people are going to want to see. Um, they're going to want to um, stay with it the length of your video, too. You don't want a lot of people opting out, you know, a minute, two minutes into it just because it wasn't interesting. So something's got to be going on. Don't have a dead time there. Yeah. I mean, it seems like the opportunities are out there. Uh, some of us, some of them obvious, some not as much, but you can create the opportunities. You mentioned, um, you know, applying makeup to haunt actors and stuff. Just spitball mm -hmm. me some more ideas like that where you create the opportunity to go live. Yeah, the thing I really like is, you know, everybody's trying to um, promote their, the dining experience, how that's just kind of really, you know, just taken off across the industry. I, I think if you did something once a week, with with the chef or you know somebody else a, a pastry chef somebody like that just uh you know starting it from scratch and just watching that process all the way through i mean you know think the rachel ray show i mean you can do that yourself at your park uh with with your culinary team you know what i just had an idea and you or anybody else can steal it if you want but how about this so it seems like unless a new restaurant opens the way that the consumer finds out the potential guest finds out about new food items is a few days to weeks before the park opens, they release the menus very quietly. What about if they, like once a week during the off season, if the chef was like, this is a new dish we're gonna have in this restaurant, this is how we prepare it, and this is how it looks, like a little cooking show, maybe under five to 10 minutes or whatever. I think that would be kind of a cool idea, and it would keep people engaged in the off season. Oh, definitely would. And I've seen that done uh, several different parks where they have done uh, not only what's new, but also just food tasting, like where they create a lot of different ideas and they have uh, the full time team that's you're around there, you know, and, you know, testing out the food and, and grading the food. And uh, they kind of go off of those opinions and in, in what actually gets put out in the park sometimes. So those are always fun, too. And I have seen that done live. So uh, just a lot of opportunity there. But I, I think, you know, like that TV show kind of thing on YouTube with, uh, mm -hmm. with the chefs, I think that's a perfect opportunity for uh, parks to go live. I think in the maintenance shop, having somebody uh, explaining the work that's being done on a, on a coaster car, you know, when it's dismantled or in the process of being rebuilt, I think the makes, you know, fascinating video people that, um, you know, you can do that video and, and uh, you know, polish it up and, and have a nice edited piece. But I think going live, it just adds you know a lot more to it when when you're everybody's seeing the work being done live yeah another thought that i had would and uh, tell me if you think this would appeal to enough people because to me i would have found this interesting long before i was involved with any parks but uh strolling through a park while it's shut down for the off season you know it's like i i always had the, this deep curiosity about the abandonedness and the desolation of a park that normally has 10 or more thousand people in it i think that would be kind of cool but it the only problem, though, is you've got to make it, you got to have a plan. You can't stroll through and then it looks pretty much the same but empty for 10 minutes as you're trying to get somewhere, you know? Yeah, and that's what it would look like. Um, you know, I've done just recording, you know, footage just to see what that would look like. And it's, it just looks like any other time in the park because nobody's there. I think the thing that would be interesting, though, is showing when you're between seasons and you see, you know, if you're in the spring, you see them bringing out all the coaster cars right. and other ride vehicles and you know everything around the midway that way. Uh, then you get to see the park in a way that you don't normally get to see when you're doing something like that, that or, 
you know, between the Halloween season and the Christmas season and seeing the Christmas trees going up and uh, people rehearsing, you know, the different uh, cast rehearsing for the shows and uh, the people in the shops, you know, swapping out the shelves and all the Halloween stuff being boxed up. And here comes all the Christmas uh, items. So I, I think those are the kind of things that would be interesting and people would want to watch uh, the live feed from start to finish when you're doing those kind of videos. Yeah. Um, I, another thing that I thought of, which would be a really good PR tie in too, just t tell me this wouldn't work. You go live and you use the caption, first sign of spring, Batman cars are being put on the track or whatever. You wouldn't, obviously it probably takes like an hour or more, I have no idea, to put all three trains on, but like just to show the crane lifting it up and it's like, oh my gosh, this park opens in two months or whatever. I think that would almost get news articles too. I mean, I, I think that that's almost like yeah, a would. Groundhog Day kind of thing, you know? Yeah, it is a it is a long process. So make sure if you're going to watch those kind of videos, grab yourself a Snickers bar. Yeah, well, I, I'm not saying it. like you know go through the whole <laughs> testing process live, but what I am saying is like if as the crane's lifting up, you know, and putting the train oh, yeah, on the yeah. car. I mean, I'm I'm saying like five, ten minutes maybe, and um, yeah. I mean, you could even like, you know, have your sales message. How do you feel about having a sales message in a live feed? You know, it's not a bad thing, especially if you have that opportunity to have two or three people helping you out and you can, um, you know, break away and have like a 30 second spot or something, whether it's, you know, season pass or promoting an upcoming event or something. I think that works. Like I said, it's it's you know, we've talked about here tonight, Ryan, it's it's like TV. And, uh, you know, if you watch TV, there's commercials. So uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, uh, promoting different things and that, uh, you know, while you're switching to a different location or just to take a break for a minute or two. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's like I don't really get frustrated with advertising unless it's completely uh, not relevant to me. You know, if I see products or services that I'm interested in, uh, that really doesn't annoy me. So if I'm going to bother to watch a live video of you know, them loading the coaster cars onto whatever, then I probably want to know when do you open? How much does it cost to get in? You know, how much is the season pass? Like, you know, that sort of thing, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, there's, there's no downside to doing that, but you got to have a, you know, more than one person crew to be able to pull that off effectively. Yeah. So um, the one thing that I've noticed is, uh, you know, with, with a lot of YouTubers and stuff, they'll go live and they'll kind of just sit around for 10 minutes as they, you know, people join in to, to watch live. Um, how do you strike that balance where people, you have enough time where people will actually be on there. So when you start talking or you start giving the tour or whatever, there's enough people to justify. But at the same time, people aren't just like, okay, I'm bored of waiting and then turning it off. I think you want to have the magic number be two minutes. I think if you're making people wait much longer than that, uh, they do kind of go elsewhere. Um, so I, I think two minutes seems to be the magic uh, number because you do want to give uh, enough time for that notification that to go out that you are live. And uh, then they can see things are starting to come together just before it does go live. Yeah. And I guess uh, you could always use those two minutes to even kind of talk about what you're about to do. I, but I, even at that, I, and I want your thoughts on this too. Um, to me, I almost feel like there'd be, be another balance there in terms of you can make it so it's not just staring at a wall or a splash screen or something like that for two minutes. And you can talk about, we're about to go through this haunted house. This is the theme, so on, so on. But at the same time, if people join a minute in, they might feel like they're missing something. Like, do you have any thoughts on that? Right. 
They could, but but I think you know they're going to tune in for the main event, which would be the tour through the haunted house. So I, I don't think there's you know there's going to be too much of that. Uh, the other thing you can do uh, beforehand, uh, there's two minutes or whatever you're, you're you're going, is as people start to have questions, that you can respond back uh, and and just let people know what's about to happen, uh, answer people's questions. If you have uh, a second person while you're doing the live feed, that second person uh, should be. Uh, responding to the different questions that people have and just engaging with those that are making comments. And you're talking about engaging with them over the chat, right? The chat, correct. Yeah. So like if you're you're on Instagram, you know, and those questions and that are popping up, if you're a one man band, you're focused on the shot. You can't really go and, and look at the comments or respond at that time. Uh, but if you have a second person with you that's uh, got that feed up, they can go in and, uh, you know, respond and you know let people know what they're seeing or answer any of those questions that they may have and and that really helps with the engagement as well too to have that second person uh, there to do that yeah i could definitely see that and and even if you could have an operation like that like if you were very serious about the uh the live broadcasting you know i mentioned strolling through a park while it's closed for the season uh if you could have somebody that's engaging uh, that might be a dynamic changer where it's like like, well, whoa, what are they doing to that building? That looks like it's been painted. You know, how do they fix this? You know, that kind of stuff. I think that could change the dynamic, don't you? Like that would. It does. I mean, I feel like that would kind of fix um, the problem with we're walking through and it's taking a while to get from one destination to the next. Because for you, it's a two minute walk. For them, it's a two hour wait. You know, it's the way that I see it. <laughs> yeah, it definitely is like that. But uh you know, but it's still, it's one of those things that for the most part, when you look around the attraction industry, there's not large teams, you know, it's a one man band or one woman band for the most part. Uh, so in those situations, you know, you're just really trying to, to tell the story, you know, when you're, when you're up by yourself, but if you do have that extra hand, you know, certainly uh, have them available to help answer some of those questions and just really enhance that engagement. Yeah. And, and, and that comes down to like drawing a plan too. If you want to show, two or three rides that especially like I think flat rides are particularly interesting in the off season because often like they're completely gone in some cases, you know, uh, be just because of the nature of the rehab process. That's something people would be interested in seeing. So if you can find three rides yeah. that are right next to each other, you can make this happen. But if one is on one side of the park and the other is on the other side of the park and then the third one's in the water park, you know, obviously that's that you're going to lose everybody by the time you hit the water park. <laughs> yeah. And if if you have construction, like, you know, you're putting in a new ride, uh, you know, if you have one of your maintenance guys that would want to uh, go on, you know, the camera and, and talk about, uh, you know, what's happening, you know, that's gold. You know, like I said, it's it's TV. It's like, uh, you know, you had your feature on, on one of the news stations where they're going around and kind of detailing what's happening. And anyone that's interested in your park, you know, they're going to love that. You know, they're, they're curious. They want to see what's going on, uh, you know. I don't know how often, uh, you, you know, you see it out there, but, uh, you know, on all park, you know, channels across the industry, you know, people are always wanting to see more, you know, they're always, uh, you know, wondering, why aren't you showing this? Why aren't you showing us that? Uh, you know, they're curious, you know, they get restless during the winter, you know, you got to feed them. So, uh, this is the best way to do it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that honestly, I, I equate park social media in a lot of cases to almost like um souvenirs from vacation where you know it's the winter and it's sad and it's boring and and you've got school and work and whatever um and the social media kind of reminds you of 
a simpler, happier time just that, that previous summer, you know? It does. Uh, and so the same goes with, uh, you know, that keychain you bought in Florida or whatever, you know? I don't know. I don't carry keys. My car's on an, on an app. So, <laughs> all right. So, Don, do you have any um, final words of advice about going live? Any final thoughts? Um, just, you know, I think just give it a shot. You know, if you're working in the attractions industry and, uh, you know, find something that uh, you feel your audience would be interested in, whether it's, you know, again, a cooking demonstration with uh, your culinary team, uh, off-season maintenance, uh, new capital announcements, uh, you know, give it a shot. And I think, uh, you know, you'll you'll be happy that you did. Yeah, I completely agree. Well, Don, um, I guess this is the point in the show where we plug to follow us on Twitter at attractions underscore GRP. Uh, make sure that you look for us on YouTube. Uh, if you're not watching us on YouTube right now, that is. And uh, we can be found on all your favorite podcast apps, Apple, Google, Spotify, whatever. You know the routine, all right? Just search for the Attractions Group Podcast. That's right. All right. Yeah, we're growing. We're up to 130-something followers the last time I looked. Uh, I think it was last night I looked, 130-plus followers now. So we're, we're growing that Twitter we, account. We are. We're doing very well. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll give away more stuff, right? I mean, it's your stuff, so I can't really say on that behalf, but... You know, <laughs> no, we will. We awesome. Will. Well, Don, we haven't done this in a while, but guess what? It's time for yes, it's pick six time. Don, it's been a couple weeks since we had pick six. Take story number one, please. I, yeah, I, I love this segment. I know a number of our uh, um, you know fans have been listening to our podcast do too, but. Uh, Ryan, uh, recently there's been some uh, you know stories out there the last couple of weeks about the new iPhone uh, 14 that uh, you know when guests have been riding roller coasters uh, because the technology is so good where it's supposed to detect if you've been in like a crash or whatever it's kind of uh, alerting the the 911 calls that uh, you know something's going on there. So uh, you've heard about this. What are your thoughts? Well, uh, I I happen to just for the sake of sampling have an iPhone 14. Um, which it, that's really just my phone. Um, yeah, so the, uh, the it uses crash detection. It has crash detection. And what's funny is that uh, a bunch of tech YouTubers were trying to set it off. They were getting junk cars and crashing them into each other and stuff, and it wasn't doing it. So people thought it was underperforming. Uh, reached out to Apple. Apple said, well, there's four to, I think there was like six different factors that did it. So uh, obviously the gyroscope, the pressure sensor from the... Um, airbags to being deployed uh you have to it has to know that you were in motion then all of a sudden stopped uh if it's connected to bluetooth or carplay it'll take particular attention so it has a bunch of stuff to prevent false positives how these roller coasters are getting past it i don't know um but all i know is that my girlfriend was afraid to ride the bumper cars last night because she was afraid of setting it off <laughs> you don't need to be afraid well, you, you know it I sounds like a bigger problem than it is it's been like 10 people out of all the Thousands upon thousands that have had this phone at that one park at this time. <laughs> now, now you say that's 10 people, but that's 10 calls that have to be received and everything. And they have to deal with that. So, you know, it adds up. No, no, I agree. Uh, you know, if you're open. I, I'm, I'm not advocating for wasting, you know, public resources or anything like that. But I'm saying, um, uh, well, I, first of all, if you might want to consider putting your phone in airplane mode, although I'm not sure if that if it'll bypass that or not. Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that it might bypass that. Um, but you can always shut it off when you get in line, leave it with a non-rider, put it in a locker. Uh, if you have an Apple exactly. watch, it will alert you on the Apple watch. That it's detected a crash and you can dismiss it from there too. 
So um, we became a tech podcast real quick, Don. Did you notice that? <laughs> we did. We did. Uh, other than that, I really enjoy my iPhone 14 Pro. Had a couple issues with uh, the battery and stuff, and then they did couple software updates and now I really like it. So uh, go get it and don't get in a crash because I don't want you to call an one one Do you like the, the camera's cam really, really good on it? Yeah, I mean, it's got this mode where it's acts like a gimbal. So it, it uses the wide angle camera in 4K, but crops it down to 2K and it adjusts for it. I think they call it like sport mode or something. So you can walk around. Now you have to have a lot of light for it. That's the downside. So you can't use it during like Halloween time and stuff. But uh yeah, I like that. I like the little dynamic island and stuff. It's 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 pretty fun. It's 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 the future of whatever we're doing. Okay, well, enough about iPhones. Let's talk about Android now. Uh, no, um, story number two. So I am really excited about this. The Serengeti Flyer at Bush Gardens, Tampa. Uh, this is an SNS Scream and Swing. So this one is going to be the largest ride of its type. It's going to be ten rows per guest, total of four rows, so forty riders per cycle, with a total height of one hundred and thirty-five feet at its peak. Um, these rides are so underrated. I think they are so fun, and the bigger they are, the better they are. Have you have you been on many of these? I know there's there's one at Dollywood, so you've probably ridden one between train rides. Yeah, exactly. It was between train rides, as a matter of fact. But no, like you said, they are so much fun. Uh, you talked about 130 feet with this one. What I really like about it, too, is capacity. You know, 40 riders per cycle. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's great. Uh, so, you know, your wait time, it's going to be popular, but your wait time isn't going to be, you know, super long because it is high capacity. I think it's a perfect fit for that park. Uh, looking forward to... Uh, you know, getting, getting down there right. and, uh, you know, experiencing this next year. Yeah. That and Iron Gwazi, uh, that's two new rides that neither of us have been on down there. That's, that's super exciting. But yeah, I love the noise the thing makes cause it sounds so industrial with the air pressure and stuff. So anyway, kudos to Bush Gardens, Tampa. It looks like they've got most of the ride built already, except for the actual swinging portion and, uh, kudos to, uh, SNS for pushing the envelope again. All right. All right. Ryan, there's a park in Lubbock, Texas, um, called Joyland, and it was uh, um, announced that it was going to be the last season for it. It had been around for 50 years. Uh, it was going to go up in the auction block for, for the land, but uh, there, there's some hope that maybe the park can continue. Um, some offers have come in. Uh, so I think for that community, this is good news. I completely agree. And, you know, it for you or I to sit here and say, like, you know, it, it's it's probably the best business decision for it to close and stuff and look at it. Matter of fact, really kind of um, dismisses the fact that any park that's in a community is really owned by the community and they lose something big. You know, everything, you know, you got like Coney Out Lake Park, which was supposed to go bankrupt and then didn't and then had a tax levy and then the people rallied behind it and stuff. And, you know, all sorts of even locally, Lasordsville Lake. You know, Lasordsville Lake uh, closed in the late 90s and then reopened in one year in 2002 and then um, closed again. And now it, now it's a public park that has some ride remnants, but it's always really sad. There's always a lot of memories wrapped up in those places. And, um, you know, you'll always have the memories, but it's it's always great to go back and, and walk through them. Don, what's your favorite defunct park yeah, but somebody can that you've it. been to? My favorite defunct yeah. park? That, oh, my gosh. Um Maybe Idora Park. Oh, really? That was up north in Ohio. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I had so much fun there. You know, the Idora Wildcat was one of the best wooden coasters I'd ever been on. So I think you know that park just because there's so many memories 
uh, that I had of it, uh, you know, going there in the 80s. Uh, so it's like outside of Youngstown is where that park was located. But uh, that'd be the one that comes to mind right off the bat, Ryan, as, as I adore it, just because I love the Wildcat roller coaster. Um, you know, it was, it was your typical carnival type food, you know, back then in the day. That's what everybody right. had, you know, with, with, you know, pizza and chicken tenders and that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, it was just fun. It was just a fun atmosphere and uh, local community, you know, and you saw people working there that uh, on the different rides that, you know, that's what they did. You know, they worked mm-hmm. there 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And uh, it was just, it just was a special place. So that's the one I probably missed the most. Yeah. I mean, for, for me, you? I would say it's uh, Lesortsville Lake, but Americana, as you know. And uh, I've been to several parks now that are, um, you know, the defunct. But oftentimes, when, when you don't have those memories and stuff, you go there and you hear it closes in a couple years and it's, you, you kind of get it, you know. Um, but that one was, uh, when I was little, we were an Americana family. Uh, so you were either Americana family or a Kings Island family for the first couple of years. We were an Americana family cause it was cheaper. And, um, so my first roller coaster was there. It was a little dipper. Um, I don't remember who manufactured it, but it's those little, little ovals kind of similar to the, the Miller coasters that they have nowadays. Um, you know, my first big coaster was their, um, uh, their galaxy coaster, which was the, they call it the serpent now, but it was like the slithering snake or something similar. It's up in Michigan nowadays. Um, but yeah, that, that's one of my favorite parks. And I actually did get to visit in, in 2002 and I got to ride their, um, you know, all their flat rides and stuff and, and got to ride the wild Eagle, which I wasn't tall enough for when I was little. Um, so yeah, if I could bring back that park, I would, uh, the, that park had enough speed bumps to, to really make a California highway. But um, I'm, I'm saying like the park itself was fine, but I'm saying like, you know, it went bankrupt. Jerry Couch from Couch's RVs bought it with the intention of making a campground slash RV place plus slash amusement park. He hired a certain company to come in and run it for him. They stole every dollar from it one day and just left in the middle of the night. Um, all this stuff is public record, by the way. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that that's my favorite. Anyway, so enough about the. Yeah, I have a lot of memories of that part too, Ryan. You know, uh, in the seventies, you know, late sixties, seventies, um, you know, Little Swordsville Lake, then you know, Amer- Americana, what it became, but also Fantasy Farm, right? Next I did to go it. to Fantasy Farm when I was uh, in kindergarten, uh, preschool. I was in preschool. Yeah, so I'm four or five years old. You know, Fantasy Farm was was a, uh, you know, every couple. Uh, weekends in the summer we would go there and uh, so yeah a lot of memories at those places you know the the parks go away but the memories never yeah that's true they can't take that away from you now for those of you don't know interesting story uh fantasy farm was directly next door to americana um the guy that's uh, without going into too much detail about the history although i'm just about to uh the guy that owned americana sold it signed an agreement not to open a park within like 100 miles i'm just recalling the story off the top of my head um and then immediately had his son-in-law incorporate the park next door on the property he still owned and made Fantasy Farm. And Fantasy Farm probably lasted about 40 years, right? It was like the, the oh, it was right. like yeah, 50s long time. or 50s or so until like the early 90s, you know. But that was yeah, less of yeah, a, yeah, uh, was that was more of like a playground. Um, I remember there being peacocks there. I definitely remember that. Uh, and I remember there being playground. They had a tilt-a-whirl because that, that was at Cincinnati Coney Island for a while. Uh, so they did have rides. Yeah, Tilt-A-Whirl. They had uh, like a turnpike cars. 
uh, they were old fashioned cars on there. Not not the kind of cars that you know that you see now with the, with the uh, antique autos and those kind of rides. But um, but uh, yeah, they had that ride. They had like a, a train track, but it was like you pedal and, and go around the track. Uh, so I remember all those kind of things. There was also a, a hole in the fence between the two parks. And if you knew where that hole was, you could go back and forth to both parks. Why didn't you tell me this like 25 years ago when I could have used that information, Don? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know it was 1969, 70 range or whatever. My cousin found a hole in the fence and we were oh, going both you parks. You should have let all the peacocks and stuff into Americana and really shown them. All right, Don, you are bumming me out with all this nostalgia and stuff. But I'm about to give you some happy news because... Our friends at Skyline Attractions have finally, at least kind of, sold one of their spaghetti bowl, paschetti bowl coasters, as they call it. Now, this is going to be a ride um, that is gonna, more of an art installation. It's called the Break Run Helix. Uh, they're working in collaboration with E.J. Hill. It's going to open October 30th at the Massachusetts Museum of Contemporary Art. Uh, the total length of the coaster is going to be 260 feet. Um it will be on display for a limited two-year run, so make sure you make it out there to check it out. Uh, and it will actually have one rider per hour. That's going to be sort of the uh, that's going to be you know part of the attraction. Is they'll pick one person in the audience, I believe, or in the crowd there to ride it. Um, and it's stylized. Uh, so the, the whole point of this art project is to pay tribute to the backyard coasters all around the world. So I think that's so cool. Would you go see this, Don? Yeah, I mean it looks pretty cool. Uh... There's a lot going on in that 200-something feet. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it, it is an art installation, but especially if you're up in that area anyway and you're interested in and probably what will be one of the next big things as far as like little kitty and family coasters are concerned, if you want to check out what the track looks like and just see what it looks like when it runs, that'll be a great uh, great thing. Um, there, uh, I think that we, when we were talking to Jeff Pike, we had him on the podcast earlier, and I think he mentioned that the train that's on it, which is a one-car train, is not going to be a terribly accurate representation of what the, the cars and trains are going to look like for actual installations. This one's specialized to look like the backyard coasters. But you can see the track. I think that's pretty awesome. Yeah, it looks really good. Uh, excited yeah, to see it. All right. Number five. Number five. All right. Uh, social media post. Uh, the bloggers that... Uh, you know, hundreds of them out in the Orlando area. They've been reporting that there's you know, new signage going on around uh, the, the Tron project at uh, Walt Disney World Magic Kingdom. Uh, so it's kind of encouraging that uh, we're starting to see some new developments here. This ride has you know, been one of the most anticipated you know, now for a few years. Uh, so we're still not quite there when it's going to open right now. It looks like what? March, April, maybe they 2023, said, Ryan, we could see uh, this. 23, I believe they said spring of 23 is when they plan to open it. But it's getting close. I mean, I've seen a bunch of YouTubers and stuff film like the light show on the roof, and all. I mean, that's just finishing touches at that point. That's that's pretty cool. That's yeah. um, that's gonna be really exciting. Well, it's gonna be phenomenal once it opens. But it's been a long time, and you know, obviously, you know, when we had the pandemic and that it pushed a lot of things back. But uh, uh, it's like everything's taking shape there now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Disney. Um, I can only imagine how much money they lost every day by not having those park gates open. You know, and they were closed for. Not terribly, not Disney World, not terribly long. Disneyland was closed for months. Um, but I I remember with Tron, they actually sealed up the entrance where the track goes into the indoor section. Uh, and this was after they reopened. So they, they, they had some sort of delay. Or it probably wasn't really supply chain. It was more like 
we're not going to put a million dollars a month into construction or, or probably the number's much bigger than that. But, um, but yeah, it's coming in the spring. So book your vacations now. All right. And Ryan, I've had, I've had one problem with the, the Tron What's project. That? since it was down some construction started you know what it is Can you uh guess? that there's probably no buckies that close to it oh. no the construction of tron uh, shut down the walt disney uh, world railroad that's one of my favorite mm. attractions there uh love riding it every time i would go uh, and it just uh it always made me sad when i would go and i would see the tron construction but also that the attraction the train was closed uh, because of that. So uh, looking forward to being able to experience both of them, hopefully in the spring of 2020. Yeah. Um, and and I, I always feel, I mean, Disney does a really good job of this sort of thing, but I kind of felt bad for the people that, you know, saved their whole lives and stuff to go to Disney. And then they want to take that one family photo at the front of the park. And like the train station was covered by a facade. You know, I mean, they, they made it look good, but I still kind of felt bad for them. But uh, I would say that that was definitely offset by their incredible 50th celebration. I have heard nothing but incredibly positive things. Um, that runs through March, I think, now. Uh, end of March 30th, I want to say. It does. Um, so don't quote me on that. All right. So let's keep talking about Disney. So I've never been to Disneyland. Um, I want to go, but I haven't been yet. Um, but Disneyland is actually bringing back in-person tours. This is the return of the in-person tours uh, after COVID. So it's been a couple of years since they've had it. Um, so tours are offered once or twice per day, depending on the demand. And the capacity is 20, person, 20 people per tour. Um, so what kind of stuff do the tours consist of? Uh, is it, I know that um, they don't show you backstage areas, do they? They do on some, like some of the attractions, some of them they do. Uh, but I know like at Walt Disney World, they had the behind scenes train yeah. tour. You know, so those are the kind of different experiences that you have. And uh, from the people that I have spoken to that have done a number of these different tours between Walt Disney World in Orlando and down at uh, Disney or over at uh, Disneyland mm -hmm. out on the West Coast, uh, that, you know, they're worth they're worth every penny that that is involved there. It's, it gives you a chance to see uh, the Disney parks in, in a way that you normally can't, you know, just when you're there during normal park operating hours, uh, they really do it upright. So if you have a chance to, to book a tour at Disneyland, certainly do it. And Ryan, we got to find a way to get you out there because that is a, uh, is a campus park. You got to do. Disneyland. I really want to do the trio of Disneyland, uh, Magic Mountain and Knott's Berry Farm because they're all Disneyland and Knott's Berry Farm are like within spitting distance of each other. I know that Magic Mountain's a little bit out of the way, but those are three um, goal parks for mine. They're bucket list parks for me that I, I really want to go to. Yeah, you know when you go to Disney World down in Orlando, I mean it's you know you drive off the road and you know these long winding mm -hmm. roads and uh, you got the water and everything to get to it. And then the first time I went to Disneyland was in 2003. I was out in Anaheim for the Stanley Cup final, uh, helping out the Anaheim Mighty Ducks at the time uh, when they were playing the New Jersey Devils in the Stanley Cup finals. And my hotel, you know, I walked across the street and there's the ESPN zone and there's other kind of places, but you just walk a few more feet and there's the front gate uh, to get into right. Disneyland. So uh, to me, I, I wasn't expecting it to be like, all wedged in like that uh but uh but just uh just a beautiful park and and to be able to go uh, to disneyland and and you know the haunted mansion and 
Pirates of the Caribbean and compare those rides to the ones that, uh, you know, Magic Kingdom, um, you know, it, it's really, um, you know, it, it's really something that uh, you have to do. You have to do. Ryan. What, what do you prefer Disneyland or Walt Disney World? Or is it a little bit of give and take? Walt, Walt Disney, Disney World. World. Yeah, that's like home to me. I mean, I've, I've made over, you know, probably 50 visits, you know, to, to the uh, Magic Kingdom and uh, Hollywood Studios and, you know, a few appearances, a few visits over to the, you know, Animal Kingdom. But uh, that's, that's like a second home park to me was is the one in Orlando. So that's the first one I went to, spent so much time mm-hmm. there. Uh, so that's the one I'm going to pick. Uh, but I think if I'd maybe had uh, visit both of them around the same time, I might have a different Yeah, I mean, so I was talking to a friend of mine that visits both regularly. And I said, I understand that um, Disney World has more stuff. Uh, A lot of people say that Disneyland stuff is better. And I said, and I said, which one do you prefer? She said, Disneyland. And I said, well, why do you choose Disneyland? And she said, because when I walk in those gates, I can think to myself, Walt was here. This is Walt's vision. And I, I kind of respect yes. that. I, I, I understand that. Um, the the only problem, uh, first of all, my attraction to Walt Disney World, just from an outsider looking in, is the fact that, you know, you're in the parks and you can't see anything besides the parks. I think that's so cool how isolated they are and how you're you're in their, their bubble and you're not getting out, you know. Um, but... Um, uh, to me, it's like we are so far from the the vision that Walt Disney had or would have had or whatever that I don't think that you can necessarily say that Disneyland is more in line with Walt's vision or anything because who knows what he would have thought 50 years after his death about the technology that we have, you know. Um, I'm sure that he, he, he was really weird about money, so I don't think he would like Genie Plus and stuff, although... I think that the demand is there for it. I think the people wanted that, you know, but, um, yeah, but yeah, I, to me, it's like, it's so far from the vision and maybe I would feel differently if I actually went there. But the fact that like, if you're going to magic kingdom, you don't just drive past magic kingdom. There, there's no doing that. You're going to Walt Disney world and then you can drive past magic kingdom. And even at that, you can't see it, you know? No. And one of the things about, uh, that I noticed when I went to Disneyland the first time after being at Walt Disney World several times is that you can see the different things where getting that opportunity to do it a second time, they made those yes. improvements, you know, so whether that was, uh, you know, whether it was Midway's, uh, you know, queue lines, buildings, uh, Fantasmic, you know, show that uh, is, you know, Hollywood Studios, very popular show, uh, but great, you know, the seating area and that you look at that um, and then you go to Disneyland and there is no seat. You're sitting on the ground, you know, on a little hillside trying to watch it there. So a uh, big difference is between the two in that respect, but you just see where they had an opportunity to, to correct some things that if they had to do it again or weren't landlocked. Uh, that exactly. They and by the way, um, I guess I'll go ahead and kick the point after on the pick six and mention that Fantasmic is coming back to Walt Disney world. Uh, they said in November, right. But they didn't clarify a date yet. How, did not clarify that, a date that yet. show is uh what do you what can you say it's so perfect in so many it's amazing ways. so perfect you know and people line up an hour there i don't know if they'll start doing this right off the bat but i remember when they were doing two of those a night and from what i understand it costs like tens of thousands of dollars to put on that show each time they're doing two of them during the summer it's oh, it's so cool. Yeah, they were at you know they had to wait till it got a little bit dark, so it was around eight thirty or whatever at night would be the first run, and then they'd come back and have another one at like ten. Uh, 
but that was a place you know you had to you wanted to get a good seat so you got in there early 90 minutes or so beforehand and uh you know but just so well done i mean the pyro they got you know pyro pyro got, water screens uh, a freaking ship a water ship screen. a ship with yeah, all the characters lasers everything <laughs> yeah everything i mean you you it's just that's a show that um you know you talk about memories you know if you just seen it once you're going to remember that you know 30 40 50 years now you remember that show it's that good yeah and it's that's what's kind of stinks about it uh, disney's had a little trouble with like the lagoon shows at epcot it seems like they've been ever since illuminations they've been having a little trouble finding the one that sticks but you know on the contrary like if you do phantasmic and the phantasmic cost, like i said it costs tens of thousands of dollars you're, you're stuck with it because you can't just do that for a year, two years, three years, because the people that see it are going to want to come back in 10 years and see it again. You know, I guess to be a local would be weird there because like they do festivals and stuff, but like they don't get annual shows like we do, uh, you know, living in a seasonal environment because, you know, they've got, yeah. you know, Beauty and the Beast that's been around since, you know, for 25 years now and, you know, all that stuff. But all right. Well, you have any final thoughts for our uh, lovely and loyal fans? No, covered a lot of ground tonight. It's hard to believe, Ryan. Is it just me or is the fall just flying by? I can't believe we're, we got two weekends left in October at this point. I know. I know. And then we'll start talking about all the different uh, parks, what they're doing for the winter with their different events. That'll be fun for us to talk about. Uh, we keep talking about having John Keeter, who has done a uh, coffee table uh, book on the history of Kings Island. I keep talking about having him on. That'll happen in November for us. Uh, we got Tom Rebbe, Philadelphia Toboggan Coasters Incorporated. He will be on our show soon. So we've got a, a lot of great guests coming up. And, uh, you know, for those that have listened to this podcast and our others, you know, we appreciate the, the interest and the support. And if you ever have any show ideas for us, you know, go ahead and tweet at us at uh, attractions underscore the, GRP. The, <laughs> why did you put an underscore in that when you because that? I, I I had no other option. I could attract it could be attractions GRP two three six five or something, but that's why I put the underscore in there. I mean, okay. I I would have okay. chosen something better. I would have paid good money to have just attractions group podcast as our handle, but that's not the way the world works. Okay. I think we've said enough now. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. We, we will, <laughs> we will, we'll see you next week. We'll have another excellent episode. And uh, again, if you have any show ideas, feel free to treat, tweet us at attractions underscore GRP. Make sure you throw in that underscore. Don loves you.